Um, one, one of them is working with folks that um, might be labeled with as having sex addiction, um, called something different in the asect world. There's a large percentage of people that, that seek me out specific to that. You know, I think um, couples work is something I'm super interested in. And I would say within that, I really have a lot of experience with uh, helping folks out kind of processing infidelities. Those are kind of two areas that I would think I spend a lot of, a lot of time trying to help people with and learn about. That was my guest on today's show, Thomas Cook. He's a licensed professional counselor and in the process of becoming a certified sex therapist through the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, ASEC. So today's part one of our discussion. Um, we're going to talk about sex and sexuality, so it may not be appropriate for small kids, but uh, we'll be right back in this message. and you hosted by Toby Jenkins a licensed marriage and family therapist serving Central Kentucky each week Toby will bring you a show with a topic related to mental health relationships or self-improvement the name of the show paradigm comes from that moment in the therapy process when a profound shift in perspective happens for a client an epiphany sometimes accompanied by physical reaction that leads them to look at things differently and make significant steps towards improving and enriching their lives. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins, and today I have another special guest. My guest today is Thomas Cook. Thomas Cook is a licensed professional counselor in Charlottesville, Virginia. Let's see, you've done a lot of training and it's really, really impressive. So you've got a master's degree in mental health and counseling from the University of Virginia, a PhD in counselor education and supervision from Oregon State University, and a certificate in sex therapy from the University of Michigan School of Social Work. And so, you know, I asked Tom to come on today because as you know, um, I've had several guests on that were sex researchers, but it's rare to, uh, I've always wanted to have sex therapy as part of this discussion, but it's super rare to have men that are certified to do sex therapy. And so welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you. I am excited to be here. Sweet. So, you know, I, I'm always curious when it comes to other mental health professionals, what, what was it that drew you to want to do this kind of work? Yeah, what's my origin story? Yes. Well, um, I guess I should identify myself real quick. I am a male, um, and that is kind of one of the primary organizing factors of my life. And so, you know, that might be something that we talk about in this particular interview. Um, there are some very specific ways that, that males are socialized mm -hmm. in the United States. You may or may not be aware of this, Toby. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of those is to just kind of um, pull yourselves up and be tough and not talk about emotions, not bother other people with your emotions. And I found that I did that pretty well uh, for maybe the first two decades of my life. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing so, with you. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I got, a, I got a lot of good feedback for, for doing things well, like academics and sports and things and not, and not causing too much trouble by being needy. Um, but I found that that left me in my relationships a little bit adrift, um, disconnected. And so I, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do after I graduated from undergraduate. And as many undergraduate psychology majors do, I ended up sort of in the criminal justice field. Wow. And it was, um, it was a good experience for me. 
Um, however, I felt more connected to the people in that domain that were therapists as to the people that were kind of probation officer type uh, folks. Um, I felt like the people that were coming and working with the clientele that I was working with who were therapists were trusted by the clients. Mm -hmm. um, they, they were learning stuff. Uh, the clients were learning stuff from these people. So that became a pretty powerful uh, model for me. And I quickly kind of jumped ship and decided to get into that mental health counseling world. I felt like it had a lot of potential, both for me, uh, mm -hmm. figuring myself out, as a lot of us do, when we, when we start going into that. Wait, uh, wait, you world. mean you went into this to partially fix yourself? Uh, probably when I went in, it was a hundred percent. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I, I was also growing up, I was one of these kids when we would sit around and we were bored with our friends and people would say like, what do you want to do? I don't know. Do you want to play wiffle ball? Do you want to do this? Do you want to go to the pool? And my suggestion was sometimes like, you want to just talk and ah. cool. People would kind of do that, cock your head sideways and look at me funny because that was right. the suggestion I have. So uh, I do enjoy talking with folks. Those are key components, um, especially listening uh, in terms of being a really good uh, therapist and, and counselor. So um, you have a particular specialty, which is sex therapy, and you are a certified sex therapist. So why... The cert why sex therapy and what's significant about the certification? Mm -hmm. Well, um, let me correct you. I'm kind of like half halfway in between. Ah. So um, yeah. within the next couple of months, um, I will be submitting for certification through ASECT, which is the American Association of Sex Education Counselors and Therapists. Um, it's an organization that that provides some guidance with, this, with the certification process. Um, I have a certificate in sex therapy through the University of Michigan, which is a, a technicality, but I think an important one. Mm -hmm. um, it means that I've done the basic coursework that's mm -hmm. required uh, as the foundation, just kind of like in the counseling world, KCREP has their certification process. Right. Um, this is what ASECT requires. So um, I am moving pretty closely towards um, being certified. So just wanted to clarify on that before I get in trouble for misrepresenting myself. Uh, yep, that's definitely a good catch. And so then like, what's the difference between the two? That, that might be good for my listeners that are also therapists, but also for potential clients or people looking for sex therapy. Sure. Yeah. So you can um, buy a profile on psychology today and you can kind of pop in the stuff that you do and you can say that you're a trauma therapist and you can say that you do family therapy and you can say that you do sex therapy and they don't really check on that. That's just kind of your description of the work that you do. And technically, if you're talking about sex in your therapy, in your psychotherapy, and you know you have some sort of knowledge, if you've read some books or had a couple of trainings, then you can say that you do sex therapy. Right. In fact, that's, that's what I say that I do, even though I'm mm -hmm. not certified as a sex therapist. Yep. Uh, the certification process is fairly thorough. It makes sure that you hit on a lot of different areas. Mm -hmm. um, my program work at University of Michigan was a cohort model. So I was lumped in with a bunch of people over the course of a year, including um, nurses, um, including sex mm -hmm. educators. Mm -hmm. um, and so I got an exposure to people in that way, as opposed to just like reading a book and internalizing it um, through that, through that way. Um, it also requires that you do about 50, exactly 50 hours of supervision. Uh, with a certified sex therapist supervisor. That's actually wow. been uh, extremely important for me, both in terms of working on my own uh, biases or judgments mm -hmm. that I have. Um, and then looking at having experience with a number of different um, sexual issues or identities, 
working with couples, things of that nature, just making sure that you're exposed, whether through your own work or doing group supervision with other people that you are hearing a lot of different cases. And this all has to happen minimum over the course of 18 months. It can, it can take you longer, but it can't be something that you do quicker than that. So, so for instance, um, I also do end up doing sex therapy through the course of working with couples. I too am not certified, but it's part, it was part of my curriculum, um, in the program that I, in the master's program I did. And so this per, so we'll probably get into this too, but, um, when would a couple know, or an individual know they need a, someone who is certified specifically versus someone who does sex therapy like myself? Um, that's a good question. I, I think the most important thing in any therapeutic context is your relationship with the provider. Mm -hmm. So, um, versus having specialty doing a, a certain um, modality versus having a degree from a, a certain school versus having you know a certification in something that because I have the certification doesn't necessarily make me a, a better provider for a couple or an individual than somebody that's not certified. So I think the first thing I want to say is it really just matters what your relationship is like with the person that you're working with. Do you trust them? Does, does the process make sense to you? Do you believe in the, in the change process that you've agreed upon with this person? All of that kind of what we would call goal, task, bond mm -hmm. stuff, right? right. Um, that having been said, you may, you may be in a situation where you're uh, looking for support and um, you want to know that somebody has specific experience with a topic Yep. Um, that they're kind of on board with the up-to-date scientific research around it, um, all of those things. So, um, I, you know, I, as a person that's working towards certification, that means I put a lot of energy and money into my identity as a sex therapist. Um, I'm a member of some special interest groups within ASECT. Mm -hmm. um, I pay attention to the chatter on list serves. I know what the kind of controversies are that are out there and in the areas that I'm really interested in, I try to keep um, as up to date as I can on certain stuff. So if it's really important to you to have somebody that is really kind of current on a lot of the discussion about um, whatever the topic is that you're interested in. I think that's one way to uh, connect with somebody like that. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if that answers. No, that exactly answers the question. Um, Cause you know, one of the things I, I try to promote um, through, through this show in particular is um, check the credentials of the, of the therapists or helpers that you're going to, to make sure they are trained and use evidence-based approaches. And when it comes to sex and sex therapy and sexuality, there's a lot of good research, um, but we also end up, you can end up in this kind of nebulous uh, arena of help with people that aren't really trained or certified or up to date with uh, best practices and your results can be hit or miss. And so, so yeah, so that certification matters and the training matters, especially if, um, you know, if, if it's something that's kind of, um, I'd say off the beaten path a little bit when it comes to sexuality, you definitely want to find someone who's, um, who's well-versed, well-rounded and works with a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, diverse group of, uh, of clients. So, um, you know, we're up against our first break. Um, you know, today we're talking sex and sex therapy with my guest, Thomas Cook. Um, we'll be right back after this break. This is Toby Jenkins, founder of Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and host of Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy is a proud sponsor and supporter of Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. At Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy, we work with couples, families, and individuals walking with you through life's challenges and transitions. 
You can find out more about Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and request an appointment through telehealth or in person at www.jenkinscft.com or by calling 859-806-0093. And we are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins. Today, my guest is Thomas Cook. Um, a fellow male therapist and uh, Thomas is a he's in the process of getting certified by ASEC to be a sex therapist but like myself um, you end up doing sex therapy in the course of doing couples work in particular and so um, you know we're going to get in a lot of good we have some pretty interesting overlaps in how we look at sex and sexuality and actually one of my favorite things when it comes to working with couples, because um, it's kind of hard not to uh, talk about sex and sexuality when you're talking about couples in their relationships, because sex, your sexuality is such a huge part of who you are. Um, but um, what was it that, in particular that drew you to want to get a certification in sex therapy? Uh, yeah, great question. And, and actually, I'll disagree with you on one thing you've already said. I think it's really easy to not talk about sex. Oh, yeah, very <laughs> true. Fact, yeah, in, in fact, <laughs> that's maybe why we end up seeing folks. Um, and, and part of my, my journey as a clinician was recognizing that in a lot of ways, I was colluding with my clients and their mm. avoidance of talking about sex. Um, but I have, I have a distinct memory um, during my, uh, when, when I was teaching, um, so part of my internship in, in my PhD was to do some teaching. So counselor education and supervision is, is a degree that you get to, to learn how to teach people to become counselors. Mm -hmm. And um, I was helping out as an assistant in a, essentially we call it the DSM-5 class where you are yes. learning the, the diagnoses, right? Mm -hmm. It's got some other fancy name, but it was the DSM-5 class. And um, it was, the term had gone well. Um, the, the lead instructor was um, actually taken off early. She had a trip planned um, to another continent and she said, you, you're great at this, you can handle this. So this last class is just about kind of wrapping up loose odds and ends. Here's some of the questions that the students have emailed me thus far. And it was like three quarters about sex. Mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought, this is convenient. She skips town, right? <laughs> Leaves you with the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually she did. And mm -hmm. You know, I, I was, I'm interested, I had been interested in that uh, content. I kind of scurried around as every good graduate student teaching assistant does, tried to get all these little tidbits that I could teach folks. And the class was just kind of like an epic uh, disaster from my standpoint. And I felt, I felt really unprepared. I felt like I didn't have the foundation to present some of this information that I was presenting. In fact, one of the students even came up to me after after the class, not in a not in like a judgmental way, but she was very curious about why I was the one that was chosen to teach that particular <laughs> class. And I told her I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure why I was chosen. Um, so you know that was that was a moment from at least a professional or an academic standpoint where I really recognized that I, I had not received training in this. So how could I provide it to others? Mm. Um, and again, that, you know, that led me to consider in my clinical practice, am I really inviting clients to talk about this? Or am I um, being accepting and non-judgmental? And if they want to talk about it, they'll bring it up. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's actually a bit of a myth. I think people, because of the way that folks are socialized to either not talk about sex at all or to only talk about certain aspects of sex, they, they feel very um, restrained in what they're allowed to talk about. And so, you know, right. I have clients sometimes say, am I allowed to talk about this? Is this something that we're allowed to talk about, right? And where does, where does that come from? You're, mm -hmm. you're coming into here this is time we've set aside for you. You're paying me money to listen to you. And you're mm -hmm. asking if you're allowed to talk about that. 
Yeah. So it um, shows how strong the uh, the taboo is. It's yeah. really incredible. So in part of my process, I um, one of the things that I do when I feel like I don't know something is I try to go out and read as much as I can. I think that's kind of a preparing of sorts that I do. Um, and I, I read a pretty good book. I looked and saw some reviews of it after I read it just to see kind of how people were digesting it. And there was a, a gentleman who had written something that I, I thought was really great about the book. And I was mm -hmm. like, wow, I didn't think about that. Ooh, that's cool. And he said that he was a, a sex therapy supervisor. And so I, I looked him up, I called him on the phone, we chatted for a little bit. And um, I've been doing supervision with that particular person now for four years. Wow. And um, they're a, a huge part of my life. Um, he introduced me to all of the different options in terms of continuing my education in this area. And, um, you know, he, he said to me, this will change your life. Uh, if you decide that you want to get into this field and he was right. And it's not always for the better. It mm -hmm. kind of, I think at times makes you somebody as an advocate that says things and you catch a lot of heat for what you're saying, because it's not um, what the, the standard narrative is. And when we deviate right. from the standard narrative, it gets really scary. Um, so, so he was right about that. Um, he himself is, is, I would describe, a fearless individual. And I, I find that other people that have been in this field for a long time have similar approaches to life where if you're, and this is my hypothesis about that, if you can talk about in a welcoming way, in a non-judgmental way, if you can talk about all of this taboo stuff around sex, you can talk about anything. You can talk about cancer. You can talk about death. You can talk about jealousy. You can talk about, you know, anything. And okay. so that, yeah, that's something that I aspire to. I wouldn't say that I am completely fearless in the work that I do, but um, it, it certainly motivates me. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so, so maybe we, uh, let's maybe talk about basics in terms of like talking about what sex therapy is and what it isn't. So let's start with what, what is sex therapy when we just boil it down to its basics? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit of a misnomer, um, in terms of there, there really isn't anything. This is my perspective, right. And somebody might, might describe it in another way, but there's really no such thing as, as actual sex therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I probably won't write that in my application to, to ASEC, <laughs> but this is something that I, that I believe, uh -huh. um, there's really just kind of psychotherapy in which topics of, of sex are discussed. And I think that's really important in terms of um, it's about much more than the behavior. Mm -hmm. You, if you're coming in and your intention is to get some support for some aspect of your sex life, you're going to be talking about other uh, foundational topics. You're going to be talking about, for me, it's, it's attachment. Um, it's family of origin. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, your basic personality, what, how you were socialized, all of these other things are instrumental in how you express yourself or how you hide yourself as a sexual person. Yes. And so I really, I like to kind of lead out with that about there really isn't sex therapy, but there is psychotherapy that um, invites the discussion of, of sexuality. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great framing and perspective for it. Because um, so much of, from my experience working with um, couples, um, a lot of times all you do is ask them about their parents or their home environment they grew up in. And that gives you a lot of perspective on um, some of the perspectives that they're currently operating under. And um, I mean, it's super informative. Um, and some of the typical, typical things you see, uh, what's typical things I see is that, um, it's not talked about or either, or, you know, the, the textbook way is that, uh, the, the script from parents in general is don't, 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 you'll get someone pregnant. You're going to catch a disease. Um, and then mothers typically have the sex talk and it's usually filled with 
those kind of don't messages. And then dads typically don't uh, engage in that sex talk at all. And so, you know, if I go through my mental Rolodex of clients, I've worked through very few of the couples and individuals I've worked through have uh, been in what I call like a healthy, open, uh, grew up in a healthy, open uh, sexuality home um, where there was taught or talked about from like a sex positive perspective. And I'm sure we'll get into some of this too, but when there's trauma involved, um, really heavy into psychotherapy, when there's trauma, neglect, um, all those other, all the other kind of abuses that can come along with, um, with sex and abuse. So, so I, I agree. So, so we're not actually, you know, one of the other quirky questions, I don't call it quirky. It's a question of curiosity. But there's also this perception that sexual stuff happens when you're doing therapy for sex. Um, right. And that's not true. <laughs> um, no, that, that's not true. Actually, before we talk about that, um, one other aspect uh, to kind of give folks an idea of how sex therapy might work is something that's called the, the placid model. Do we have a second to talk about that? Well, you know, we're up against a break, but we come okay. back with that. So um, we'll come back with the Plicit model. Um, we're actually, we're up against one minute insight. You're listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. And today I'm talking psychotherapy, sex therapy with my guest, Thomas Cook. We'll be right back. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You, and this is One Minute Insight. You know, I've been talking over the last couple of weeks uh, about my insights working with clients on creating and maintaining new and healthy habits. And a lot of this stuff not only applies to my clients, but also applies to me. One of the things I find that is that accountability to others when it comes to creating and maintaining new habits uh, tends to be really, really beneficial. And what I mean by that is that many of us will engage in an activity or behavior if we know other people are expecting us or relying on us to do so. So in other words, especially when it comes to me, when it comes to my running, I know that I will not, the couch won't win if I know that I have to post a run to my virtual group. Now, with that said, technology is an incredible way to create accountability because many of us, while we can't be in person or do things, do these things with other people, we can use social media, texting, and other technology to create that personal environment that holds us accountable to keep these habits going. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. One of the biggest stresses that we encounter is money. Money issues strain our family life, create stress in our relationships, and can provoke serious anxiety and depression. And many don't know where to turn to get relief. That's where The Darius Norman Show comes in. The Darius Norman Show airs daily on WTTA FM 101.2 from 1 to 2 p.m. Darius Norman is a certified credit and financial counselor and author of Rewriting Financial Rules. It's his objective to empower others with educational tools and services to assist them in taking control of their financial and credit issues. Tune in to The Darius Norman Show on WTTA FM 101.2 and you can follow him on Twitter at The Darius Norman Show. And we are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins. Today, my guest is Thomas Cook, and we are talking sex therapy. So before the break, um, we were getting into um, what sex therapy is and isn't. And so uh, you brought up the Plicit model, which is a new concept to me. So what is the Plicit model? Yeah, I, I was recognizing in kind of my my uh, pattern or my fashion is I kind of give a non-answer uh, to a question, <laughs> but I don't, I don't mean to, to avoid that. And I do think it's helpful for folks to know, at least again, from, you know, an ASECT endorsed perspective um, about the Plicit model. So um, at every kind of intervention or model in our, in our field has to have an acronym, right? Absolutely. So the, the, the P, um, and let me back up and start over. So the, 
the Plicit model is um, a gradual or a kind of step um, step by step way of um, helping folks. So mm -hmm. just like you know, somebody comes in and meets with you for the first time, you have to pace things. You have to kind of figure out what they're looking for, and there may be something kind of very specific and intense at some point that they're looking for. But you don't you don't start with that because you don't know that yet as a clinician. Right. So uh, the P implicit stands for permission. And that is exactly what it sounds like. It's permission to discuss um, sexual issues in this space. And um, that for some folks by itself is a new and fantastic idea. And that mm -hmm. might require some work to support someone and being able to put words on what their concerns are mm -hmm. or process through what that experience is like as they say that to someone else. Mm -hmm. And so even if all I do is, is listen, or maybe I get a little bit more active and I reflect back to them, the, right. the content and the emotional aspects of what they're talking about, um, that in and of itself can be therapeutic for a lot of folks. For sure. Yeah. So um, the next piece is the LI, and that is that stands for limited information. And so again, this is this is the next step. Um, limited information includes um, any kind of, and I really I, I feel myself bristling at this word, but any kind of normalization that mm -hmm. I can provide. Um, mm -hmm. I think the big concern that people have when they come in to me is, am I normal because I yes. feel this because I do this? Are we normal because we do this? Um, and so, you know, that that in and of itself, providing some information about. The, the broad range of experiences that are normal, including not having a desire to have sex as part of your personality. For example, mm -hmm. asexuality is a normal experience uh, for folks. That um, limited information can be helpful for people in terms of saying, okay, maybe I'm not pathological. This is an experience. Right other people have that so that would be one example of limited information um, the next step is um, ss so specific suggestions and um, at that point it kind of comes back more to me on terms of um, checking in with the clients seeing what their goals are um, and then providing perhaps some ideas if if they've maybe run out of ideas, but ideas that they may want to implement, kind mm -hmm. of looking at pros and cons for them about implementing those ideas, really working to make sure that they take responsibility for choosing those ideas instead of it being, quote, advice that I provide to them. Mm -hmm. And then after the suggestions, um, there may be a need for intensive therapy. That's the last piece, the IT. And it's psychotherapy, my definition of it is um, looking at kind of deeper thematic patterns that exist um, across relationships, across contexts, um, looking for the meaning behind that, looking for the self-belief that someone might have connected to that, seeing if that still works for them, if that's how they want to view themselves. Is there maybe something else that they could update it to that would work better for them? Mm -hmm. How can that person and I work through that together? And that's a little specific in terms of, you know, the approaches that I use. Um, but that's that's my idea of, of psychotherapy, really kind of challenging those deeper patterns. So that's the Plicit model. I kind of like it. I, I might have to start using this myself. You know, that, that question of am I normal or is this normal? is um fairly very common and it's amazing like you were saying earlier that there's so many things that um we don't talk about but we should and i would say between between um with a lot of couples um the 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 kind of the analogy i have to make is that uh when we get especially when we get married whether we're, whatever our committed relationship is the dynamics of our relationship kind of go into a vacuum and so one of the experiences I always talk about, uh, my wife and I used to lead uh, marriage ministry years ago, and it was a group setting, 12 couples. And by week two, 
um, there's, there's a lot of self-disclosure in the class. And you could see other couples saying, oh, it's not just us. Um, and getting some reassurance around it. And I, the same thing kind of happens to uh, when I work with couples um, with uh, that have that have issues to work through with uh, sexuality or sexual behavior. It, it, is that normal? And so, um, and then there's a huge stigma in terms of things that whatever their socialization is, if it's something outside of that, um, is this normal? And so one of the things I, I heard you say, which I think is really, really good, is that um, it may take a little while, but that acceptance and non-judgment is a, is a big deal um, because I, I, you've probably had this experience too. People have wanted to say this thing about my sexuality or our sexual behavior, and it's like they tense up before they say it, <laughs> and then they share it. And then the response of, of their therapist or counselor really makes all the difference. And most of the time, I, someone will say, I can't believe I just said that. And whew, I said it. And so yeah. that acceptance is a really big deal. Yeah, the, the relief of being able to be vulnerable is very therapeutic. It is. You know, and the other thing I commonly uh, say not not only as it relates to sex and sexuality, but with anything you go to therapy with, there's a good chance that your therapist has has heard it before. Um, um, and as a therapist, there, there are things that, you know. I, there's a wide range of things that I've I've helped people work through, and kind of even when we're not talking about sexuality. Um, when people have these experiences, that is usually the thing they, they come back to. I know I'm not normal because of this. Um, so even when it's not sexuality, acceptance is a really big, really big, big deal. Yeah, um, and I, I would tack on one other piece to that. Something that I would probably explore with folks is why is it really important to you to be normal? What, what did you learn about that idea? How is that reinforced with you? And why is it problematic if, if you consider yourself to be not normal? So not to give being normal too much credit, um, right. I, I think we are both all, all normal and none of us are the same. So how can that, how can that be the case? Um, yeah. I'll leave it at that. yeah. So in your work, um, are there some common themes when it comes to sexual behavior, sexuality? psychotherapy with sex issues? Yeah, um, so I am a very specific provider. Um, as you talked about, you know, being, being a male um, in this field, I think a lot of people seek me out for that reason. Mm -hmm. um, so there, I would say that there, there are certainly themes in terms of um, some of the individual work that I do with men. Um, there are... Um, concerns about people being able to um, perform. So that, you know, erectile dysfunction would be something that's kind of lumped under there. Um, and I kind of put that in, in the realm of sexual functioning. I, I want it to work. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the big themes that I end up talking about, again, relating to this idea of normalcy is, you know, let's talk about what your definition of sex is mm -hmm. and that that is a conversation that i do have with just about every individual or couple that i'm working with um and my own <clears throat> excuse me personal experience or professional experience and, and personal experience too is that people are pretty rigid in their ideas about sex um specifically heterosexual couples are very mm -hmm. rigid um, sex usually includes um, penis and vagina intercourse and everything else is just kind of a decoration around it. Right. Um, and that, that hurts everyone. That, um, that is a setup for failure. Yeah. Um, so, well, I often introduce couples to, um, to queer, um, approaches to sex and sexuality, because it, like you said, it kind of opens the box a little bit, actually not a little bit, but a lot when we think of, uh, 
when we think of sex as a one, a performance two a very specific goal oriented event. And, um, and the, all those things just add anxiety to the experience that you are trying to have with your partner. So, um, you know, the bad, the bad part about um, research from the queer community is just isn't enough. But if we can kind of get beyond that rigid box, uh, looking at other populations and how they express sexual behavior is a good, good way to kind of get you out of that box. Um, but, you know, we're up against another, man, that was quick. <laughs> we're up against another break. Um, we're going to come back and talk more around some of the special issues that my guest today, Thomas Cook, uh, works with, especially with men. So you're listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationship and You. We'll be right back. You've got mail. You've got mail. Today's list of mail comes from Nicole. How much of your past relationships should you share with your current partner? How much of your past relationship? Okay. Yes. Um, so I, my first question is which, which parts are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Right. Are we talking about that you haven't had any relationships or that you've had lots of relationships? Are we talking about, um, sexual relationships? Are we talking about what your status with these people is in terms of you're still friends with them or things ended horribly and I can't stand these people? So I'm not quite sure what the question is yet, but the, those are the kind of assessment questions that pop into my mind. I also am wondering if this question is about how many what should I share in terms of how many people have had sex with? Hmm. Yeah. That, that's usually the context I, I see it in. And uh, given that this is uh, submitted by a female uh, listener, this question can also be loaded with a bunch of double standards um, because we judge uh, women who, who have had X number of partners. So there's a certain number that's supposed to be acceptable. So you know, my, my general approach to these kind of questions is only share, I mean, depending on what the, the status of the relationship is, um, only share what would be helpful to the relationship. Um, because at some point, like if you're in the beginning of the relationship, you're not going to go as deep as perhaps, you know, if you've been together and you start, you know, peeling the onion back as you get to know someone. And so, you know, from that standpoint, I'd only share what's helpful. And then, um, let your level of trust in the depth of the relationship guide the rest. Um, yeah, I, I also would ask Nicole how much she wants to know about her partner's mm. past relationships, right? And what kind of level of information would make her feel closer to that person or, or able to trust that person or, um, you know, what, if, if this was something that she was receiving and then, you know, kind of the idea about why, why is this something that you feel like you need to do is, is this something that someone else has requested? And if so, what do you think about that request? Um, are you just kind of conditioned to say, well, if somebody asks, I need to tell them. Um, so then it kind of quickly comes into to boundary issues and things of that nature. So, um, not much, Nicole, don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully uh, we helped you out, Nicole. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with more Paradigm, insights into relationships and you with Toby Jenkins. And we are back. You are listening to Paradigm, insights into relationships and you. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins. Today, we are talking sex therapy with Thomas Cook. Uh, before the break, uh, we were talking about, you know, with being... A, being men in this field, or actually with Thomas in particular, he works with a lot of men. And one of the typical issues that uh, Thomas works with is uh, erectile dysfunction in men. So um, when men come to you with uh, wanting to work through erectile dysfunction, what are some of the possible outcomes uh, from a therapy standpoint? Yeah, uh, great question. And I think, you know, such a sensitive topic. Um, 
I, I imagine people struggle to to get information apart from you know doing Google searches and things of that nature. Um, one of the most important things um, is the assessment. Um, so really, kind of figuring out everything that's going on around the situation. Um, one of the first things that I'll ask someone is, you know, what have you tried thus far mm -hmm. in terms of how, how you want to um, intervene with this challenge? Um, I think it's really important for folks to get um, a medical assessment checkup. Um, there are, you know, lots of things like um, issues with cardiovascular uh, system that, for, for somebody that's unable to achieve a, an erection, that might be a warning sign that let's say, you know, percentage wise in, in the next five years, there's a higher percentage that somebody might have a cardiac event. So right. um, in some ways it's really important to start checking out what's going on. Um, I am working with people that have had that kind of, or, or in the process of our work, they, they have had the, the medical stuff ruled out. Oh, I guess another one I should mention, folks that are on you know, certain medications. So mm -hmm. for example, SSRIs, um, these things all impact um, libido. So, um, so I wanna do a really good assessment and I wanna, you know, I wanna talk about um, the relationship that they're in. And you know, is this something that they, um, they're, they're just starting to experience erectile dysfunction. Is this something that's been a, a lifelong challenge for them? Are there certain instances in which they experience it? Um, and, and if so, what is it about those experiences? One of the biggest um, challenges to uh, sexual function is anxiety, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, this idea that <laughs> It seems a little counterintuitive when you first start learning about it, but you need to be able to relax to, to enter into a state where your body can be fully sexual. So that's yes. the, instead of the sympathetic nervous system, which um, harnesses all of our um, kind of activating uh, forces of fight and flight, what, what the sexual experience is doing or what, what you are hoping to tap into is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the kind of rest and digest nervous system. Um, so what is this person's relationship to anxiety? Mm -hmm. um, have they had anxiety problems in the past? Um, and then, you know, relationally, what's going on? What's the dynamic? Is it in some way beneficial to not um, to not have an erection, does that create some distance between you and your partner that is desired? Mm, that's a good I one. Your, I see your eyebrows go up. Our <laughs> listeners, no, that's a, mm, mm -hmm. yeah. So is there, is there some function? Is there some wisdom? Does your penis have some wisdom? Yes. It's kind of a funny way to talk about it. Um, so, you know, there are lots of things going on and, you know, again, what, what is their idea about why it is important to relate sexually uh, with their partner in this way? Is this the only way that they feel like they can do it, uh, that they can have that kind of relationship sexually with their partner if they're not, um, if they're not able to have intercourse, penis and vagina inter intercourse? What's, what does that mean about their relationship? Um, right. So, these are all kind of assessment questions. I know you're asking about outcome type questions. Mm -hmm. I think some of the outcomes might look like learning to um, be vulnerable with your partner to enlist them in this process, in this process of talking about what's going on, about talking about the anxiety, about being non-judgmental in the moment if someone does have an erection and then loses it, what's the plan there? Mm -hmm. Do we all run screaming out of the bedroom or do we take a break and go, you know, watch a funny show um, and cuddle? What, what are the responses that you have built into that? Um, I think when people can start to look at some of the relationship conflict that they have, that can have a lot of different outcomes. That might not be something that somebody's interested in doing. Um, however, I want to make sure that they are able to identify ways that they would be able to enter into that conflict. Um, mm -hmm. 
I want to help them gain the skills to feel like they have some self-efficacy around that, um, if that's one of the things that's going on. Um, and, you know, in the end, I think the outcome is just kind of listening to your own wisdom that your body has and learning to adjust to it and, and use, use the information that it's trying to give you. Right. I mean, we want to be able to have our own internal compass. And I think, um, you know, it's not people might walk in and say, I want to be able to have penis and vagina sex with my partner. And that's their goal. And that's great. And there might be a lot of stuff, you know, there might be a path that kind of winds off way to the side to be able to get to that place. Right. Right. You know, um, So I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in a fraternity and um, have a lot of older men in my fraternity. And um, this has happened more than, I mean, well, I put it this way, this discussion around uh, erectile dysfunction has come up, I would say a handful of times, anytime a certain group over a certain age of these men get together. And so it's led me to believe that, yeah, this is a bigger deal and that there's a lot of embarrassment in terms of talking about it. And so you mentioned a lot of uh, t- uh, working with uh, erectile dysfunction in the context of a couple. Do you right. work with men individually um, with ED? Because the other, the other theme, just from my experience with these older men, is that they are saying it, they're not saying it, but they're saying, I am not the man I used to be um, because I cannot achieve or have an erection when I want to. Yeah. Well, you know, thank, thank goodness that they're not the man that they used to be for <laughs> other reasons. Right. right? I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to be the 20 year old version of myself. Yeah. Um, or maybe not even the 30 year old version of myself. Um, there, there is a lot to this idea or this transition, and I'll, I'll call it a, a cognitive reframe. So thinking about things differently in terms of it, it might take a little bit more as men age to um, turn them on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, put yourself in the position of a partner, whether that's, you know, in, in a, a, a gay adult male relationship or a heterosexual adult male relationship with a woman. Um, if you looking at your partner and they're walking around and able to have sex all the time, is it really about their attraction to you or are they just kind of like a walking ready for sex person? Right. So I've worked with people who have described this scenario of, you know, I actually enjoy it now when we are able to have sex after we've kind of figured out what is really exciting or what the context needs to be or what the turn-ons are, because I know it's about me. I know it's, it's what we've done to create that as opposed to um, maybe when my partner was younger and, you know, the testosterone or whatever it was um, just allowed them to perform whenever. So it becomes less simple. Mm-hmm. And yet I think it can also be appreciated more. Yeah. Yeah. Real good point. Um, that appreciation part is um, I think uh, in terms of like how we look at, at sex and sexuality, uh, you know, linking appreciation with sexual behavior and expression and pleasure, I think is a huge connection. Um, Cause it, you know, I don't think as, you know, one of the reasons we both got in this work is to work with men and uh, going back to uh, why is this important and fishing through, or, you know, from our perspective, listening through a lot of that socializing um, that we get, about sex and sexuality. And in a lot of cases, when I've worked with men, actually, now that I think about it, it's, it's so loaded. But, you know, being able to strip away some of those uh, attachments we've gained over time from some of the unhealthy ways that we're, we're socialized um, are really, really helpful when we start talking about expressing ourselves in, in a sexual way with a partner. And it's, it can help unlock some of this some of this stuff. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll add, add to kind of the scenario that we're talking about. Um, it can get even more challenging in terms of um, 
let's say there is a little bit more that needs to happen. Let's say I'm, I'm aging and, and I don't quite have the same levels of testosterone or I have some cardiovascular issues and it takes more. How do I ask for those things? Am I okay asserting that, oh, you know, actually I'm not just ready to go. It's going to take a little bit more for me. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I, as a man, um, say I need that, A, and I'm not just ready to go, or B, receive that from someone else. What is that like when there's, you know, I'm, I'm the center of attention in that way? So it brings up so much stuff. Um, and really, I think, that's why I think about the aging process for men is really fantastic because it gets, it, it brings out some of those nuances that we like to, as a culture say, aren't necessarily there. Men are simple, men are easy. I don't, I don't really buy that. <laughs> I tend to agree. I think uh, uh, I, I, one of the first discussions just in regular couples therapy is kind of like with, with what you're saying. A lot of men will come into therapy saying that. Um, but um, learning how to help men um, identify those emotions, identify those needs, uh, really be vulnerable. Then a lot of men figure out, oh, I'm not as simple as I think I am. And my needs are way more complex. Um, and thank goodness for that. Absolutely. So Tom, how can people find you if they want to work with you? I would say that the easiest way is to just Google, um, my name. And so it's Thomas and my last name is cook C O O K E. Um, psychology today is, um, maybe one of the first things that will pop up if you type in Thomas Cook therapist, Charlottesville, and then that'll get you connected to everything that you need to make contact with me. Um, If you just want to email me directly, my email is my name. So Thomas Cook. um, And then the letter is LPC licensed professional counselor at gmail.com. Awesome. This is part one of my interview with Thomas Cook. Join us next week for part two. We'll see you then. You can find archive shows and additional details about guests of the show at the show's website, www.paradigmradioshow.com. You can follow weekly one-minute insight posts on the show's Instagram and Twitter feed at Paradigm Radio Show. For archived episodes, you can find episodes wherever you subscribe to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Insights into Relationships and You is brought to you by Jenkins Professional Services and Hype Media Global. Thank you for tuning into Paradigm. Insights into Relationships and You with Toby Jenkins. Join us again 